You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. I'm going to be reading John 21, chapters 15, um, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. Thank you for Easter and the message that it brings that Jesus died and rose again. I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts to receive this message that you have for us today. Um, That it is not through us, not through our works that have gained us salvation, but it is through the work, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. May that pierce our hearts and mark our lives. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Larry. If I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, uh, I'd love to meet you. Um, and I want to welcome you all, especially if you're here today and you're new, and maybe you ha- you're just checking us out, or maybe you've been coming just for a few weeks, or maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, and something sparked uh, in your heart today to come out to church today. I want to especially welcome you. Um, uh, I'm biased because I'm a pastor at the Village Church, but in my opinion, the Village Church is the best church in the world, so I'm glad you chose today uh, to step into the Village Church uh, but I, I really mean it because even when I first started coming, uh, I started coming uh, five and a half years ago, what struck me right away was this culture of authenticity, this culture of um, I want to fight for my brothers and sisters, and uh, I, I want to, this culture of generosity, of living life together, and, um, and, and that's, that's, I feel like that's continued to this day. And so if you are looking for a church home, if you're looking for a community, I want to encourage you to stick around. Um, talk to somebody. You can talk to me. Talk to someone at Next Steps afterwards. Hope you find a church home here. Yesterday, our church held this Easter egg hunt in the Station North neighborhood. Um, this is a picture of our daughter, um, and she is. It was her first Easter egg hunt, um, and it was really exciting. She got a total of two eggs, um, which is you know the mo- you know all her hands could hold actually. So it was the best best possible scenario. Um, but if you haven't heard, we're starting a new church in the Station North neighborhood, and so we're doing all these events out there. So it was a great time just to be a part of that. Uh, but while I was there, I bumped into a guy that I hadn't seen in, in uh, a long time. I, and I recognized him, but I couldn't remember where. And so we talked, and we realized we had played basketball together five years ago, over five years ago. Um, and that was the only time we saw each other. And, and so we, we sort of reconnected. It was kind of funny. We were just talking a little bit about... Uh, life and things like that. And I was just reminiscing after that what life was like five years ago because it seems so different than uh, what was going on even right now. Uh, To give you an idea, five years ago, the Harlem Shake videos were still 
going strong, and uh, I don't know if you all remember that. That's, anyways, that's the, that was going on. And five years ago, I was still single. I wasn't married yet. I was childless. And uh, five years ago, I just started working at the Village Church, and uh, I was reading through these old emails, just thinking about life five years ago, because I enjoy doing those sort of things. I go on these little rabbit trails, reading about my old life. And I came across this quote uh, that I had written down, uh, because my friend had, had told this to me around the time I was making the decision to leave a career in engineering and to go into a career in Christian ministry. And this friend, he had said to me, this line that has always stayed with me, and he said, God is more interested and what he is doing in you than what he is doing through you. God is more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you because at that time, my heart uh, for ministry was very much, I want to do things for God. I was thinking all the time, man, I have this life. What do I have to offer? What resources do I have? What can I share? I want to do, I want to give my whole life to God. I want to do all these amazing things for God. But at that time, when my friend said this to me, I was reminded of the fact that ultimately, as a Christian, my job isn't to do things for God, but is to allow God to do things in me. And that ultimately, Christianity is not about what I do, but it's about what God has already done and what God is doing even still in me. And so during my uh, little time in ministry, I've always had to go back to that truth, to always remind myself of that. It's so easy to be caught up, and, and it's not just people in ministry. I think it's all of us. It's so easy to be caught up with this mentality of, I have this list of things to do, and this list of things to do is so important. I need to dedicate my life to these things to do. And sometimes we overemphasize all of these things because that's what we're doing. And they become way more important than they actually are, so much so that we forget the whole foundation of Christianity, which is that life is not about what we do, but it's about what Jesus has already done. That Jesus died and rose again to save us. And that's what Easter is all about during the Easter weekend. We remember that Jesus was born as a human being. He lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death and he rose from the dead in victory. And because of that, because of all of that, um, we have life. And that, that is the most important thing in life. And so as we go through life, doing the same things over and over, we may deceive ourselves into over-prioritizing the little things that we do day to day and under-prioritizing what Jesus has done for us. Uh, But Easter is a time in which we reorder our priorities, our minds, our hearts, um, and we remember Jesus. So um, to do that, I'm going to be digging through the Bible and talking about this guy named Peter. I'm going to be going through his life a little bit because I think Peter's life, he illustrates what it looks like to have our priorities reordered and to move from this Uh, My life is really important. All my things that I'm doing are really important to this place of, I understand now what Jesus has done, and that is what is most important. So his whole life is flipped upside down because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's what I want to talk about. Uh, If you don't know, if you're not familiar with Peter, I'll introduce you a little bit. At one point in time, he was this regular dude. He was a fisherman coming from a family of fishermen. And uh, like many of us, uh, even though many of us are not fishermen by trade, uh, he lived what, would, what we would call an ordinary life. He did normal things day in and day out. He uh, caught fish and he sold fish. And, uh, and that's what he did day to day. Just like many of us, we do the same things over and over. But one day he hears about this man named Jesus. 
And Jesus was this amazing teacher who, who was working these miracles. He was gathering this following. He was talking about this kingdom. He was talking about repentance. He was talking about joy and love. Amazing things. And he was inviting people to follow him. And sure enough, one day Jesus comes along to Peter and he tells Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter, he must have been flabbergasted. He couldn't believe it, that this guy, this hero, came up to him and invited him to follow him. And Peter realized this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So he dropped everything he had and he's like, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to give up everything for this guy. And so he decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to give up even my family, my career. I'm going to sacrifice it all, lay my everything I have down for this guy, Jesus. And he did it for three years. He followed Jesus. He saw Jesus heal the blind and the crippled. He saw Jesus feed the hungry. He saw Jesus even raise people from the dead and all these amazing things. And he felt so amazed. And as day went on, day by day went on, as time went on, he felt more and more confident that he made the right decision, more and more confident that he loved this Jesus. He was willing to do anything for Jesus. But there was one, in, uh, one weekend in particular that changed everything. And Peter, he would later look back and it, it would be the most important weekend of his life. It would be the worst weekend of his life and the best weekend of his life. It was a Thursday night. We can call it an extended weekend, Thursday night to Sunday morning. That was a weekend, okay? And Jesus and his followers, they were eating a meal together. And all of a sudden, Jesus stood up and he got some water. He put it in a bowl and he started going around washing the disciples' feet. He was doing this around the dinner table and people were so weirded out because that was not a thing you did. We don't do that today around dinner tables and we didn't do that back then. And especially if you were the leader of a, a follower, if you were a teacher, you were a respected person, you definitely didn't do that. So Peter was so so surprised and so flabbergasted, so shocked. How could this person, this powerful miracle-working teacher, be washing his feet? And so check out what he says in John 13, 6 through 8. He, Jesus, came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Peter, he, he prided himself on being this guy who was willing to do anything he could muster his energy up to do for Jesus. He was willing to do anything for Jesus. And this washing feet business, this is one of the things where Peter, he would have volunteered to do something like that for Jesus. But here was Jesus, and Jesus was washing his feet. And on top of that, you know, Jesus was calling him out in front of his buddies, his disciples, and he's saying, you don't understand what's going on. I got to do this. Otherwise, you have no part of me. And so, so Peter must have been wondering, what don't I understand? I'm supposed to be serving you. You're my Lord. You're my teacher. You're my master. I'm supposed to be washing your feet. What don't I understand? But things got even a little weirder. Later on that night, Jesus said he would be betrayed. And he said to his disciples that all of you will leave me. And check out what, uh, what he says, what happens in 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Okay, so we have this first scene where Peter's confused because Jesus is washing his feet 
And that's weird. And then now we have this scene where Jesus says straight up to Peter, you cannot follow me. I'm going to go somewhere and you can't go there. And this must have been odd to Peter because he spent the whole three years, the past three years, following Jesus. That's what Jesus told him to do. Follow me. That's what he was doing the past three years. And now Jesus is saying, you can't follow me. Because Jesus was talking about how that night, that very night, he was going to die. And he's telling Peter, you won't be able to follow me. Don't follow me. And in fact, not only will you be unable to follow me, but you will deny me, deny that you even know me three times. And Peter must have been so confused. He, he must have felt so ready to lay down his life, to do anything for Jesus. But now Jesus is calling him out, him out and saying, no, you, you don't understand what's going on. You're not following me. You're going to deny me. And that's what happened. Jesus' prediction came true. That very night, a bunch of soldiers came. They rounded Jesus up. They arrested him. They took him to this trial where they brought all these false accusers against him. And all night, they brought out these accusations. They beat him. They mocked him. They, they, they did all these things to him. And during this whole time, Peter was so confused, so scared, so embarrassed. And uh, three times, three separate times, as he was falling from a distance, a person would come up to Peter and would say to Peter, Hey, I recognize you. You know Jesus, right? You're a follower of Jesus, right? And Peter would say, No, I don't know the man. He said it three times, No, I don't know the man. And immediately after the third time, Peter heard the rooster crow. And he was reminded of the fact that he had let Jesus down. He had broken his promise to Jesus. He had said he would follow him. He had said he would lay down his life for him. He said that he loved him, but he didn't. He loved his own life more. And so he ran away and he wept. That night, Jesus was crucified and he hung there for six hours before he died and Peter couldn't even show up. He just let Jesus die and he was hiding and weeping. I don't know if any of you felt like that before, if you've ever experienced what Peter is going through. Um, I know I certainly have. When I've gone through times when I would boast about something, boast that I can do something, only to find out later that I couldn't. And the very thing that I boasted about is the very thing I'm embarrassed about. Or maybe there are times where I'm so confident that I would do the right thing, so confident that when push comes to shove, that when I'm put to the test, I would make it happen. I would make it work. I would, I would do the right thing, and I don't. And in fact, I fail. I fall flat on my face, and I realize that it was all talk. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't pull through. And um, I've done this a few times in my life, but it, it hurts me the most, and, and it, it's, the reality is starkest the most when I do it to my wife. And there are times when I get into this huge fight with my wife is not often, but it's happened, and it's it's huge enough that we have this yelling match, and I need to leave the house. So I leave the house, and I go drive around, and I go to an empty parking lot, and I just sit there, and I'm doing this thing where maybe you've done this before, where you're like half blaming yourself, half blaming someone else, half praying, half talking to yourself, and half muttering things out loud, and, and I'm doing this thing for like an hour, and uh, all of a sudden it just hits me that I was in the wrong. I was so in the wrong. And it was my fault that I'm to blame, that I'm responsible, that I had hurt my wife, I had let her down, I'd broken a promise, fill in the blank. I've done this thing 
And I just feel during those moments that all I can do is hide, run away, and weep. I don't know if you've experienced that before. Maybe you've done, you have experienced that before with other people in your life. And maybe some of you have even experienced that with God. Maybe there's a point in your life when you felt sort of like Peter. You were on the right track. You felt confident about things. You felt like you were doing the right things. You were following all the right rules. And then something happens. You commit some egregious sin or error or mistake. And you, you have this great stark regret that marks and defines your life. Or maybe you, kept some, you had some promise and you let God down. You said you would do something, but you didn't. God was leading you one direction and you chose something else. There was some temptation and you were so confident you were going to overcome it, but you failed. And during those times, maybe you feel guilty, you feel inadequate, you feel ashamed, and you want to do exactly what Peter did. You want to run away, you want to weep and hide. If the story of Jesus ended there, that's all we could do is run and weep and hide. But it doesn't. Because that very same weekend, which was the worst weekend of Peter's life, was also the best weekend of Peter's life. Because on Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And that changed everything. For what the resurrection represents is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sins or stains have marked your life. There is hope. There is redemption. There is glory. What the resurrection represents is that all of the sins that you've committed, past, present, or future, have been done away with once and for all. Because when Jesus died, he took those sins down with him, and he left them in the grave when he rose up from the dead. What the resurrection represents is that following Jesus is not about primarily what we do for Jesus, but it's about what Jesus has done for us. See, Peter had it all backwards. And so many of us, it's so easy to get it all backwards. We think of Jesus as a moral teacher. If Jesus was just a moral teacher, if he was just a man who said some nice things and did some nice things, then what following Jesus means is we just become more moral people. We do some nice things. We say some nice things. That's all it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus was more than a moral teacher. He was a risen Savior. And because of that, following Jesus is more than just copying him and saying things and doing things, but it's accepting the fact that we could not do anything. We did everything wrong. We said everything wrong. We did everything wrong. And we trust in Jesus who did everything right and said everything right. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just becoming more moral. It's becoming more understanding of the fact that we couldn't become more moral and we accept the fact that Jesus died and rose again. There's a prerequisite for resurrection. And when Jesus died and rose again, he invited the whole world. It's an open invitation to the world. I invite you to rise from the dead as well. And the prerequisite to that, the way you accept this gift of resurrection is by admitting that you are dead. That's the way you rise from the dead. If you never come to a place where you admit you're dead, you never admit that you're spiritually dead, that you're spiritually separated from God, that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you're spiritually immoral and sinful, if you never get there, you can never rise from the dead because you're still trying to figure out how to do it yourself. You're still trying to figure out how to become more moral, how to fix yourself. But the only way to rise from the dead is if you come to a place when you say, God, I can't do it anymore. God, I give up. God, I'm broken. And only when you get there, 
does Jesus' resurrection even make sense? Because he invites you to come and live. Earlier we sang, Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. That's Jesus' invitation to you. But it only applies if you admit first that you're dead. When the people, when we people truly grasp the reality of our deadness and we truly grasp the reality of the resurrection, it's a beautiful collision. It's a wonderful collision. You can't have one without the other. You see, from the dawn of history, people have been waiting for the resurrection. People have been waiting for this moment which this Jesus figure would come and die and rise from the dead. We've been waiting for that. But our whole lives, our, our whole history, before Jesus came and after Jesus came, all we ever got was a bunch of Peters, a bunch of people who would say one thing and do another, a bunch of people who would let God down again after again, again and again. That's all we ever got. That was you, that was me, that was the whole world. But when Jesus came, he did one thing that nobody else could do, which is that he lived a perfect life. He died this brutal death. He rose from the dead in victory. And he invited the rest of us, the rest of us who couldn't do it. And he says, come follow me. Come follow me. Not in the sense that you are going to become better, moral, more moral people now, but come follow me in the sense, trust me. Trust that I accomplished it all for you. When Jesus broke the curse of sin, he rose from the dead. He gave this world this invitation to come follow him, to die to our old selves and to rise from the dead spiritually in this life and bodily in the next life. The resurrection is important. It's beautiful. It's awesome because it distinguishes Christianity from moralism. Moralism is all about turning bad people into good people. It's about turning bad people into good people. But Christianity is about turning dead people into living people. Christianity is about turning dead people into living people. And the resurrection shows that Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good. He didn't just come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that's the point. And Peter finally understood this when Jesus died and rose from the dead and he realized the whole, he missed the whole point. These three years he was following Jesus. He was trying to be more and more, trying to become better. And he had it half right. But what he didn't realize was that he was an utterly dead sinner and he needed Jesus to die and rise from the dead. That's what he needed more than anything else. And so this finally clicked for Peter in this conversation with Jesus after the resurrection on the beach in John 21, which Tiffany read earlier. I'm going to read it again, starting from verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. And at the third time, Peter grieved because he was reminded of the fact that three times, just a few weeks before, he didn't love him. 
Three times he had let Jesus down. He had denied him, denied that he even knew him. And I think the reason why Jesus is doing this is uh, he's reminding Peter of his failure, of his inadequacy, of his deadness. Because the only way to follow Jesus is if we understand our inadequacy, if we understand our incapability. The only reason why any of us would look to a Savior is if we recognize we are in need of saving. The only reason why we would look to a resurrection is if we recognize we're dead. The only reason why we would look to a healer is if we recognize we're broken. Only if we recognize our own incapability can we recognize God's capability. And here, Peter is reminded of the fact that the point is not whether or not we love God enough. The point is not whether or not we love God enough. The point is that God loves us enough. That's what matters. That's the most important thing. The most important things in life are not what we do for God, how much we love God. The most important things in life are knowing that God loves us. And he, and he proved that he loved us through Jesus dying and rising again. Let's keep going. Let's check out what Jesus says. Verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. When Jesus and Peter first had that conversation three years ago, three years prior to this event, when Jesus saw Peter fishing and he called him out, he said, follow me. And now once again, Jesus is saying the same thing, follow me. And as if, it's as if he was reinstating Peter to that original position because... It doesn't matter what you've done in life. It doesn't matter what you spent the past three years doing. It doesn't matter how badly you failed God. God's calling for you is the same. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you, where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's calling for you is the same. Follow me. He doesn't choose people to follow him based on what they've done. He chooses people to follow him based on what he has already done. Do you remember just uh, a few weeks before this, the night before Jesus died uh, at the Last Supper when they're having the final meal that one Thursday and Jesus was saying, I want to go somewhere and where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but afterwards you will follow me. And Peter was like, where are you going? How can I not follow you? Right? So that happened. Interesting, right? Because back then, Jesus said, you can't follow me. I'm going to die. You can't follow me. But here, Jesus says, you will follow me. And you will die as you follow me. So what was the shift? What was the difference between just a few weeks ago when Jesus said to Peter, you can't follow me, and now when Jesus said to Peter, you can follow me and you will follow me? What did Peter get now that he didn't get before? Peter understood that he was incapable. Peter understood that he he was inadequate. Peter understood that he needed saving. Peter understood that he was the one that needed washing. Peter understood that he was the one who needed to follow someone because he couldn't do it himself. And that was the whole point, that following Jesus is not about what he could do for Jesus, how he could serve Jesus, how he could lay down his life for Jesus. But following Jesus was about what Jesus can do for us, how Jesus has served us, how Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what it's about. And so when Peter got that, that's when he was able to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, 
uh, because you want to become more moral, you can't last. If you want to follow Jesus because you want to be more accomplished, you can't last. If you want to follow Jesus because you want to be more heroic, you can't last. Peter did all these things, and he realized that wasn't the way to do it. But if you want to follow Jesus because you're broken, you've messed up, you're a sinner in need of grace, you're dead enough to need a resurrection, then welcome to the club. We're at our church. You know, we can say welcome to the village church. The village church is a bunch of people who we're not perfect. We're no better than anybody else. We're no moral than anybody else. We're no more special than anybody else. All we are are a bunch of people honest enough to say, I'm broken. I'm needy. I'm sinful. I'm messed up. I have regrets and I need help. That's all we are. That's all we do. But we say, despite who we are, despite what we've done, I'm forgiven. Not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus died on the cross. And we can say, and I'm victorious. Not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus rose from the dead. So whether it's your first time here, and you're just learning about this whole following Jesus thing, and, or whether you've been here forever, and you feel like a following Jesus expert, whatever the case, I want to invite you to take this step seriously and to think about what it means to follow Jesus. Don't think about what you need to do. Don't think about what you need to accomplish. Don't think about what you need to fix. Just be honest enough to say, I can't do it. I can't fix it. But thank God, because he did it all. Jesus paid it all. He did the work I couldn't do by sending Jesus down to live the life I couldn't live, to die the death I should have died, and rise from the dead to give me hope and redemption and salvation. Two days ago on Good Friday, uh, we came up one by one and we nailed some sins onto this cross. And it was to represent uh, two things. One, that it was our sins that caused Jesus to die on the cross. Uh, But two, that God himself nailed Jesus on the cross and he nailed those sins with Jesus on the cross to kill those sins with him so that we can be free. And now we will be reminded of a similar thing by taking communion, by taking the bread which represents Jesus' body broken for us and by dipping it into the cup which represents Jesus' blood shed for us. We remember that it was Jesus' death that gives us life. And the reason we know that this is not a hoax, this is not just some magic trick, this is not just some ritual that we do, is because Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was God's stamp of approval on what Jesus accomplished. That was God's way of declaring to the world, you thought you were hopeless. You thought it was all over. You thought that death and sin and suffering and evil ruled the world. Think again, because Jesus died and rose from the grave. And so no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what stains your life, you can have hope for a clean slate hope for a new life because Jesus died and rose again. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, I invite you to take uh, the communion elements at the table. You can feel free to line up either aisle and then come up, take the bread, dip it in the cup, take it right there. Uh, If you're not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to just sit there and think about this message that we talked about today and ask God to share with you if he is out there, if this is really true. 
And if you feel like God is speaking something to you, if you feel like today is a day in which you want to say, God, I'm a broken sinner. I've tried my whole life, but I've failed. But I'm ready to give you a try. I'm ready to give my life to your hands. I'm ready to follow, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Not so that I can be better, not so that I can be a better person, but because I recognize that Jesus was that better person. If you're ready to do that, you can become a new follower of Jesus today and you can take communion today. Let's stand up as we pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection. We thank you that uh, some of us, even though we spent our whole lives running and hiding and weeping, some of us, we've spent our whole lives pretending like we're better than we actually are. Some of us have spent our whole lives filled with guilt and shame and embarrassments over the fact that we're always letting people down and most of all, we're letting you down. Despite all of that, you sent Jesus to live, die, and rise again for us. And, and so God, we just ask that you would wake us up. We ask that you would resurrect us. We ask that you would make us whole once again, not by getting us to do things, but by getting us to recognize that all has been accomplished by Jesus, for he paid it all. So whether we're weeping, we're hiding, whether we're tired, we're weary, we just ask that you meet us here. Strengthen us. May your love inspire us to know you and to follow Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.